0: Welcome everyone in Race Refactoring Podcast and today there's Martin with me. Say hello. hello. <laughs> uh, my name is Victor and we'll be talking about uh, our new book we are releasing in Arkansas, which is called Front and Friendly Race. So as Martin is with us today and he's the author he can tell us something more about this book. I was reading the parts of it and it's really good but I'm not really sure what's what's in this book uh, at the whole because there are many topics covered about the front-end and the relation to race
1: yeah so so basically this book is a set of techniques and set of practices i've just researched and implemented in my project so uh, in fact the book is not as uh, can be seen as a whole but uh, it can be seen as a set of independent practices you can apply to your code. And I have written it that way just because uh, I feel those, uh, those techniques are pretty useful, because, um, because they are um, replacements of Rails defaults, where Rails is the best when you try to build a static Uh, when you try to build an app which works in like standard way standard way like for example request response cycle with uh, HTML views served by the backend
0: yeah and jQuery frontend nothing Uh, more
1: yeah and and basically it's all about replacing Rails defaults with uh, better options which is possible without um, sacrificing the the simplicity and and ease of use of Rails stack.
0: Yeah, uh, one of the one of the topics in this book, which I I remember reading this fragment, is about UUID. And I remember we were working in one project when where we just used UUID <laughs> and it wasn't really a problem. I mean, uh, <laughs> we just had this additional additional field, and there was only a problem if you wanted to do some some Non-standard thing, more standard than just uh, going with where, or with find by find by uh, methods. So, what's what's what are you describing in this over ten pages in chapter with UID?
1: Yeah. So so to start this topic, uh, UID is a technique that uh, is more like um, bringing you benefit in a long term, like. It's not a technique where you implement it and it's, it's instantly wow, this application is just improved a lot. Uh, it's more like um, a technical change which allows frontend to be more independent from the backend. Yeah, so,
0: yeah it makes like without UUID you can go with this frontend fast uh, solution that frontend doesn't need to wait on the backend. I mean... Uh, Especially if you have these related objects and you, you just need to know the IDs uh, when you want to proceed with doing something with those, those models or objects.
1: Yeah, so the, so the biggest problem here is like um, when you create things or update things, but creation is the most crucial part. Like uh, to do it right, uh, in a front-end first approach with a standard way with sequential identifiers, you need to consult your backend or mock this uh, sequence of uh, increasing integers. But with UID, you can prepare a prototype which is uh, which is quite ready to to be deployed even with 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 backend, and you can just. Do not change your code Just connect your API And it will work So there is another very important thing Apart from UUIDs Which is uh, more like a technological choice uh, It's a problem of Rails generating uh, identifiers on the backend So you need to consult backend Every time you create something It's uh, it's const- You, you constrain yourself this way So uh, the Second, very important aspect of this change is to allow frontend to generate UIDs. So you can just, uh, for example, implement more sophisticated uh, creation techniques, like, for example, um, autosave or uh, batching your changes and and stuff like that.
0: Yeah, maybe in the in the beginning you don't need to to have UID, but uh, the flexibility it gives you. In the future, is is really beneficial.
1: Yes yeah, So, so uh, as many technological or technology technology decisions or approaches and decision about them, um, you don't need you uh, IDs at the start, but it's better for you in terms of you know mm-hmm. implementing it to start early, and. Yeah. Since the process is rather straightforward and in the book we present a solution which will work also with legacy codebases.
0: Um, so it's easy to just implement UID with attaching your current installation. I mean adding it to your toolbox Yeah, so
1: replacing everything with UID. So with uh, legacy codebases the process is uh, more complicated but it's still achievable. I mean, you. In the, in the book, there is a step-by-step solution which works regardless of the database used and so on, which is a replay, which you in which you replace sequential ID of the resource with the UID one. But uh, in but in vanilla applications, new applications, all you need to do is to just. Toggle one flag and you're ready to go. you got this UID built in. So that's even um, even easier.
0: I remember you were working on this, researching this topic and there was some, some database problems related. Like there was something about MySQL. Are you touching in, in your solution? Are you touching the database or did you go in the, another way?
1: Yeah, so uh, in the book I present the solution which is database agnostic. I mean, you can use MySQL, you can use SQLite, you can use uh, even MongoDB if you want because it's all the UID part is handled completely by the Rails side. But uh, performan- performance, performance-wise, and mm, maybe it's a little bit simpler to have. Uh, for example Postgres which allows you to uh, generate UIDs on the database side. this is because you just then you just can implement it and in there is also an aim of doing things like frontend can provide ID but don't need to like um, mm-hmm. if if Uid is not provided, it will be still generated on the backend side yeah. and sent back. So, so for the second simplicity. Of yeah, so platform. Postgres makes it a little easier. <laughs> yeah,
0: you got this Anon, that was called uh, UUID. So, Always yeah, there name? is a Something legacy like
1: plugin uh, uh, extension called UUID OSSP. Oh, and yeah. there is PG Crypto, which is a preferred solution for newest versions of Proc- Postgres. So um, as I said, solution in the book is a uh, little more complicated, but it works everywhere and can be used in legacy code bases. And mm-hmm. if you are starting with nice defaults like Postgres or, and, and you are creating an app from scratch, you can even simplify it more. And as a you know, in an implicit way, I, I have shown how it can be implemented in the next chapter of the book, where I describe JSON API. And inside the schema, you can see how it is implemented with Postgres 2. Mm-hmm. So is it mm, compatible
0: with Find, for example, in Rails? In your solution with UUID?
1: Yes, yes. It is compatible just because Rails. Uh, in Rails, you can... Replace your primary key with something else. So, so all those find methods uh, are starting to use UIDs instead of IDs, which can be a problem, really, uh, if you want to just, for example, retain the old behavior. Like in, in some application, in some subset of applications, there is a problem like uh, I'm switching to UIDs, but if someone, for example, has a link in uh, in its um, bookmark on, on the browser, which is the old ID, I still want to, for example, make a, re- a redirect yeah, to the new. it's URL. important for SEO. Uh, yeah,
0: uh, when you have a, a lot of people linking to the site. Yes.
1: Yeah, so, so, for in, so this this problem also can be solved because um, during the process we are we are like uh, relying on the on the fact that we have those sequential ID and UID duplicated so we can still reference the old ID and that makes it simpler all right and
0: you mentioned uh, before about the json api and i remember that was the that was like a basic for like, like the base for for making this book uh it was, like, it was supposed to be the main topic of this book, but it changed a bit rapidly. And I wanted to know why.
1: <laughs> yeah, so JSON API is a pretty interesting topic. But in fact, since I wanted to make this book useful for my readers and share my knowledge about the topic. Because uh, let's be honest, like uh, everything is, uh, everyone is concerned about backend code quality everything is concerned about front-end code quality, yeah. but often this uh, middle, middle <laughs> connection, thing, part. Like, connection part is like, okay, so issue an HTTP request, you are yeah, done, yeah. nothing interesting and here, The, prob- yeah. the <laughs> problem is,
0: like, rather quickly. I remember we were working both in one project, uh, like, one year ago, and we had this API that was, like... Uh, it was ongoing invention. <laughs> like all the time, we had something else invented. We had <coughs> n- n- we had denormalized uh, data first, and then we went to the normalized data. But then there was a problem of pagination, <laughs> which we didn't solve, uh, as I guess, because we didn't have to. But it was something worrisome that we didn't have any any template on how to proceed with our API and making the simple stuff uh, here. In the place, and as I understand, JSON API standardizes this and provides you the specification of what you should do. So, can you tell me about more about it? What does it give me? Uh, which parts of API does it give me? Is it a, does it solve the problem of authentication for me, or is it only the, for example, the the, the pagination and the format of the data?
1: Yeah. So. So I wrote this chapter about JSON API because it's uh, pretty common to developers entering the project, tries to like reinvent the best practices of their, of their APIs. And, um, that's time consuming, that's error prone. And that's, is often, um, you know, it's like you don't foresee what you will do in six months. So it's better to follow the standard, and JSON API is a standard for formatting messages, like formatting response mm-hmm. responses. And so I don't need to think about any details. Yeah, so so you just take a default, which is yeah. which is well taught by by their authors. Yeah, it allows you to implement tons of features, like pagination, for example, like um, like um, conditional prefetching relationships uh-huh. and so on it doesn't provide it to you uh-huh. but this response format is all about making it possible in an easy way yeah so, so we
0: got a easy and standardized way to do it yeah so and they don't provide with the authentication for example
1: no 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 okay. it's only a response format ah, okay. and fine. and in fact since it's a response format it for example is suitable for Mm Pre-fetching relationships Like uh, I want a list of songs But with uh, album covers Yeah It allows you to do it In a very easy way Yeah But uh, It doesn't provide you means In your application to do it You need to implement it by yourself Yeah I understand But it's very very easy To just you know Uh Enter this whole concept Into your response format So for example if you implement it and new, new clients will just use it and old mm-hmm. clients won't, your old clients will still work. Okay. And it, it will be like out of the box for free.
0: Uh, and are there any Braze or Ruby, Ruby games that support us with this?
1: Yes, yeah, so, so uh, there are plenty of them, and I present the solution which is stable. It's called JSON API Serializers. What and do you mean by stable? <laughs> I mean, for example, there's a very popular gem called uh, Active Model Serializers, yes. which in its release candidate versions allows you to serialize to JSON API. But ah, okay. since it's a release candidate, I I didn't want to just uh, present this solution. Yeah. JSON API Serializers works just fine. And I present the solution where you can just... Have your old API, have your old mm-hmm. response uh, response formats, and implement those uh, JSON API responses like um, mm, on the side. Like okay. they will work together. So it's very crucial if you are uh, maintaining an app which is still working. So you need some time, and JSON API also has it uh, has this topic covered. Mm -hmm. like it uh, if you want to make JSON API you need to use a custom content type for it and I show how to add this content type to Rails and how to use it yeah
0: Yeah, because I remember there was a blog post about this yeah I think I can link it in the show notes okay and going back to the front end which is like (laughs) judging by the title it's like a theme of this of this book I uh, the I think the most most like valuable part of this book, maybe because that's a that's a pain that I had recently, was getting onto some modern uh, like modern JavaScript tools into our installation of the race. <laughs> I mean <clears throat> if you want to have a Sprockets and ECMAScript 6 and Common JS, so some kind of moduling, uh, it's right now it's not that easy or close to being really hard <laughs> yeah. and the race ecosystem isn't really developing to to, to help with this that's my opinion there. and uh, we were trying lately in our project one one big project with one client to go onto webpack installation which is a bundling system for for Node for Node.js and we just uh, started pulling stuff from sprockets into this webpack installation and so, so how much of the, the scope of installing, uh, of getting the modern <laughs> front-end installation is there in the book?
1: Okay, so so let's start from explaining why you need a custom stack or Node.js stack and so on. Uh, this is all because uh defaults. Like yeah. Rails has, a, has sprockets as a default. Yeah, and with a CoffeeScript. <laughs> yeah, with CoffeeScript, with jQuery, for example... And so on. And it's a great default if you want to just use static HTML views and sprinkle it with your jQuery code. So, mm-hmm. so you're on the very basic level of making this uh, this frontend interactive. But today we are working with big JavaScript application, big sophisticated frontends, rich yeah. user interfaces. And this default is starting to, to be a problem for us. So... Since Sprockets has defaults, which makes it uh, a little bit complicated to connect all the dots with newest technologies and so on, which in my opinion are big productivity monsters. Like if you you are if you start to use Ecmascript, you will be way more productive. At least it was my experience. Yeah. And
0: so com- parts of Scripts uh, are in Ecmascript six, and it was like the intention of the CoffeeScript author to, to be there in place before ECMAScript comes yeah. and gets so, released
1: so they <laughs> they stolen some, some things yeah. from, <laughs> from CoffeeScript like- but that's great <laughs> because CoffeeScript is also a very elegant language but uh, there is a problem with such transition first of all it's quite hard to grasp all the concepts, all tools. It's not like Rails. Like mm-hmm. r- with Rails, you get a full package. In Node.js world, there is a, there is a movement of doing everything as a very small modules. So you need to connect those pieces together
0: and know how, yeah, know how to connect them. Yeah, no, it's, it's really a big problem for people, as I see, that they they come to the JavaScript world and they don't know what is the most popular, most useful and the, the best tool they can use for for example testing. Yeah. And they are
1: stuck in this. Yeah. So there is so many tools and you need to understand which tools for what. Mm-hmm. So this book first of all uh, presents you the goal. So you want to use the newest JavaScript but still have CoffeeScript because you have some Yeah, old code, code maybe. Yeah. You want to have mod- modularity of your code because you're writing sophisticated application. Yeah, and those re- requires modulars. exports. Yeah. You need to have test stack. You need to have production builds so your code will be minified and so on. Yeah. You want to have, um, you want to have for example, Linter so yeah. you know your practices are the best in it's terms like of writing r- code. It's like RoboCop, right? Yeah, it's like rubocop It's called ESLint. So... We explain what every tool you use does. Mm -hmm. We explain how to connect it together. Yeah. And uh, all is made in a step-by-step manner. So there are plenty of articles about how to do it. Like, internet is quite full of it. Mm -hmm. But I haven't seen and I wanted... I very wanted in my... At the beginning of my path with Webpack and and stuff. I really wanted... a. solution which will which will explain me what I'm doing and how to do it. And I believe I achieve it in this book. (laughs) So so I hope for me it would be a ton of value. I mean I would save a lot of time. So if I succeeded in this book, in in <laughs> explaining it correctly, I would be very happy as an author because this will really help people.
0: Yeah, I uh, I start to notice uh, among the developers they are often like, uh, not maybe not not every one of them, but I I notice that a lot of people are like copy pasting code, not understanding what it does, and then having the troubles because the basics aren't a. So I really like this approach uh, when you explain each tool, uh, each tool what what it does. One year ago, when we were starting the React JS by Example book, we, you wrote the blog post that was uh, the Hitchhiker's Guide uh, for JavaScript Tooling, and it was like yeah. like this. It was describing what what does these old packages do. <laughs> so like, uh, when I asked my colleague what what the what the karma is, <laughs> it, there was a high possibility this colleague may not understand what it does when he wasn't using this because there's so much tools in JavaScript and there a few like fixed ones. So we got the Karma, Mocha, <laughs> and Tape, and yeah, so Jasmine. Yeah, for
1: example, you just described. Karma and Mocha but in fact they are not (laughs) the same thing but we often pull them into the same drawer yeah yeah, so so this is a big problem and I believe (laughs) when we wrote this blog post it was like number one on Hacker News yes it was was. totally awesome for us (laughs) but it only showed us the scale of the problem like yes many people are struggling with it and many people had like strong opinions I believe like you don't need all this (laughs) stuff just write old JavaScript and don't use modules uh, so so they were desperate they were frustrated uh-huh. like all those tools I don't want I, I ignore them <laughs> just, I just write the old code but there were people like you just can't live without those tools yes. so, so there were so many wild different opinions here and I believe such... Uh, such texts that describe mm-hmm. what all those tools are, what they do, and so on are very needed. I re really, I'm really
0: I'm really the fan of uh of ESLita lately. I was writing the blog post about it and I encourage people to try it out with the book. <laughs> uh it's really the small section in the book it's not that big and it's like <laughs> it's like a game changer for developing uh, dynamic code that is interpreted, because you don't you don't need to run the code in your browser to 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 check if it's it's valid, uh, it doesn't have any problems or possible problems. So, what is your take on this? Uh, because you and I were trying out ASLinter in company, like in the same time, and I remember when we both we're really relieved it's here
1: yeah so ESLint uh, is like your safety belt like uh, ESLint not only shows you the styling issues it shows you like basic programming errors like oh you mistype your variable name and so on and if you think about it if you go for example for to people from .NET from Java from Mm -hmm. Haskell, whatever. <laughs> whatever which is statically typed or compiled. Yeah. They will just they can't live without it. And we are living with without it like yes. in JavaScript world. But it's such a huge help uh, that it shouldn't be. I mean it shouldn't be even about should I use ESLint mm-hmm. or not? Just use it because it will make your code It's like ten better. minutes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's like ten minutes, and you will have better code and way better developers feedback. Yes. And if you enter it in your uh, Circle CI as a compile step, it's the um, it's an <laughs> insurance that the code the, works. Yeah, it's the insurance and the most easy way, the easiest way to just. Uh, Piece off your colleagues that don't <laughs> need to write JavaScript code, I don't want to write JavaScript code, yeah. I would just sprinkle it with it, and then <laughs> ESLint will crush them during the build, so you will maintain the quality of your code.
0: <laughs> Thank you for the talk, and I really appreciate that you found the time.
1: <laughs> okay, no, no problem. <laughs>
0: and. We really strongly encourage you to all to just check the book and, uh, and give us your know, feedback on the email. And for you all, the podcast listeners, we get something special. We get a discount code.
1: Yeah, so so I believe this discount will maybe encourage you to buy, buy the book. Remember that we have a refund policy, so if you don't like it, uh, this will happen. Yeah, just, 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 just write it. Yeah, just, just drop us an email. This book is not only about that, not only about UIDs, uh, JSON API, and Webpack. It's about the philosophy also. Yeah, there is a philosophical topic of front-end decisions. I specially selected it because it will make you a better developer. You'll understand your decisions and consequences uh, way more. Mm -hmm. Also, there is a small chapter about uh, cores, which uh, many people surprisingly for me many (laughs) people are struggling with cores they don't understand how it works and they don't understand how to configure it correctly and i covered this topic in the book there is also a chapter about uh, pusher uh, so so so-called real-time api where you can just web sockets yeah web sockets basically and uh, i will show you a solution which is surprisingly simple i mean there it's really simple and (laughs) You can, and it's not a problem with maintainability. So, um, if you have this real time add ons, it's often quite tedious to maintain consistency between user actions and actions coming from real time. Yeah. Uh, so, I'm showing a solution which will integrate those two parts and make this way more maintainable.
0: All right. So, uh, the coupon code for, for, the, for the for our podcast listeners is podcast front and friendly, and it will be also in the show notes of this show. So, thanks you for listening, and see you next time. See you next time. Thank you. Thanks.